Welcome everyone to the launch of Late Night Rentals, our first initial episode where we set out to explore all the movies you would have discovered at your local video rental establishment. I'm your host Brandon, join with me on this harrowing adventure of obscurities is my good friend Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing good, how are you? Um, not too bad, not too bad. I do have a question for you though. Alright. Have you ever gotten so mad that you punched a water cooler and it just obliterated? I've never gotten that mad before. You know, I've fingered some pudding in my day, but never glass. <laughs> well, if any of you have punched a water cooler before, uh, stay tuned as we dive headfirst into Johnny Be Good. Michael Hall is Johnny Walker. You were just tremendous out there today. This how it Does anybody in America like you? Huh? A modest young man. Get your mouth off her, Walker. Now. Oh, you dad? <laughs> but he's about to hit the big time. Bite your old dick off. Give me anything you want. Spring break. Puerto Rico. Just tell me what you want, and I'll get you two of them. What do you like? You like girls? He's looking for a college that meets his intellectual requirements. Listen, I'm having a little party from a man tonight. Why don't you stop by the house, huh? Well, I'd love to, but uh, I promised my wife I wouldn't show up at your place anymore. Somewhere peaceful and serene. How are the girls? Hmm? The girls. He's going to make the right decision. Where did you finally decide to go to college? Clown school? Do you think these recruiters would all want you as much if uh, they were afraid of the dark? Even if it kills him. Oh. Are you afraid of the dark? Go, go! Go, Johnny, go! Go! Nice catch, Cooper. Go, Johnny, go! 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 Hey, Cooper's not wearing any underwear. Anthony Michael Hall. Robert Downey Jr. Paul Gleason. Parker, kick the ball! Kick it! Alright, Johnny be good. Uh, Ryan, this was an interesting watch, yeah? Oh yeah, I mean, interesting, boring, uh, for the, is a better word for it. Oh my god, I was not expecting to be, I don't know, so taken out of the movie as I was so many times. Yeah, we usually, because we do the watch party, and so we usually chat back and forth, but there were long stretches where we didn't say anything. Yeah, it's, uh, you had brought up a good point. I think uh, since, I guess let's segue into this, uh, one of the things you mentioned in the chat uh, was tone. Uh, let's get right on into the tone of this movie. It is totally inconsistent throughout the entire movie. Um, you'll have scenes that happen for comedy followed by a scene that happens for drama or pathos. And they're just they're jarringly mashed together, which I thought reading the synopsis, because the synopsis mentions illegality, like the, the, the bad stuff that happens during uh, recruitment. And I thought the movie was going to focus like Johnny was going to take down the system. But uh. no, it just kind of happens to him. 
That's a good point. I, I made a note sort of similar to that where I was like, man, this would have been so much more fun if Johnny and Leo got revenge on the schools that were threatening his family. Because there's uh, so many of the uh, the head coaches of these schools, they, they cross the barrier, especially our main coach, played by Paul Gleason. They, they cross that threshold of being very abusive. And since, you know, Johnny and Leo's nature is already sort of playful, sarcastic, uh, you know, I was really, really thinking, man, that would have been so much more fun if these two kind of teamed up and went that full slapstick nature that this movie just halt all of a sudden and just throw you into some crazy banter like the the most jarring one that that like it had me chuckling uh was you have he goes to old tex uh, uh I'm, I'm assuming it's standing for texas Un- university of texas the longhorns um everything's stereotypically texan i don't know where this movie takes place uh they never specify um but it's a f- and they had he has to go on a plane to go to old tex and you have the introduction to the coach. He's your stereotypical redneck Texan, uh, thir- uh, 10-gallon hat, um, you know, buckle belt, the bolo tie. Their charter plane has uh, horns on it because they're the horny toads. <laughs> um, and the limo that he gets driven in also has the horns on it because they're the horny toads. You have this big party where all these women are, like, hitting on Johnny. There's There's a funny moment, a funny visual gag where all these people are standing around eating chips and uh, guacamole and they're talking about like girls and why they're, why they're going to go to old Tex, why they're even here visiting. And then Johnny, like everybody walks away and Johnny walks up and it turns out the bowl of chips and guac was actually a sombrero hat that a midget was wearing. That's a pretty funny gag. Um, but you go from all of this bacchanalia to they go to a strip club and then um, they're at a gas station. All of a sudden there's just this guy who has a limp. And he gets this monologue in, in soft focus close up talking about how he would have gone to old text had he not broken his leg. Yeah, and it's like he he tries to make he tries to settle the scene a little bit by saying, Well, you know, like even though I, I, I work forever now at this rundown gas station that old Tex made sure to give me, he's looking out for me. You know? <laughs> he's looking out for me. And that comes that's and then what immediately because you commented in the in the chat but what happens immediately after that guy's monologue about how well they're they're good to me oh i don't remember the guy goes out <laughs> the, the stinky breath man goes to the vending machine oh yeah gets, yeah gets a little minnow eats it raw burps and says that's texas sushi like, yeah immediately afterwards yeah. what is it Texas sushi boy. Get you, man. And again, that's where uh, the whole tone is so inconsistent in that you really have this moment of someone who's lived through what Johnny is essentially leading up to. Like he this is he's almost looking at his future. And then to go from that to just this to one of the goon guys who we only see in Texas, that's ever we ever see him again. But he goes up to this vending machine where you buy bait, and I'm just like, why? Why go from having this, like, probably one of the first moments that we get a heartfelt moment with Johnny and all the decisions he's making, to this guy slurping down an actual minnow? (laughs) Texas sushi. And, like, it has, it'll have scenes that exist 
just to like try to generate a laugh and they don't like they don't really work that well um like you'll have all that stuff with texas you'll have um the whole bit where um they're in the hotel with those women those three women near the end of the movie like because you have johnny basically recounting the entire movie to the one lady and then you have um leo on the bed sharing some story about how he lost his virginity um and then he puts one of the girls on a full nelson and then he gets slapped by the other girl which he slaps her back and then they kiss (laughs) and then yeah and they kiss and then like the next shot is you see the sheriff driving up with his lights on and then the redhead girl in the in the hotel yells start take take opens her blouse and starts yelling rape 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 um which is dropped after the next scene we never like that does not affect johnny in the slightest and, but that scene in general it doesn't it feels so out of place cuz like it starts when they just pull up to this restaurant and Leo's talking about his dream of one day being able to tell the boss off by yelling at the boss's wife. And then these women, these three women in the car pull behind him and they say, Hey, we, this is like the exact dialogue. We've never had sex before. Would you mind showing us how? <laughs> and they drive off and then Leo follows them. Yeah. And then Johnny's girlfriend, I don't remember her name. She's played by Uma Thurman. Georgia. Her father is the sheriff, and the sheriff has a combative relationship with Johnny because Johnny is, you know, deflowering his daughter and, and all this stuff. And like when it, when the scene started, I thought, well, it's it's uh, it's a setup, right? It has to be a setup. Like someone's trying to trick Johnny into something. I I at first thought maybe it was one of the teams using it for blackmail or something, but no. It turns out that it's his girlfriend's father, basically set him up, and then nothing there's no follow-up because at the end uma thurman's character is perfectly fine with johnny like they they kiss and everything even though there was a scene earlier in the movie where she basically broke up with him because she thought he had sex with some woman in texas while he was on his recruiting trip right uh even to his even to johnny's credit when she questions him about that he goes to a grocery store where she works in the I'm assuming the butcher department, she was chopping up a chicken. It's like she starts questioning him about, you know, other girls in Texas, and he pulls off that, you know, I mean, uh, instead of just coming up with a straight answer, that automatic, hey, I'm guilty. And it's, but you're right, it's, all of that is just dropped away within mere scenes. Mm -hmm. And you would think, like, Ashcroft is the town. Took me a while to figure out that's the name of the town. Um, It seems like a small place, like a small southern town, maybe in Alabama. Or Mississippi or something like that. I'd imagine it's Mississippi since the the uh, opposing team in the opening game had um, Confederate flags on their shoulders. Oh my god! I didn't even rec- I didn't even notice that till you mentioned it in the chat. So like everyone would know Johnny, especially if he's like a five star recruit, has all these people talking, like all these recruiters coming to his house and annoying the neighbors. I'd imagine. And then oh, well, they have that. <laughs> <laughs> Leo and Johnny have that midnight football game with the sheriff, two deputies, and some criminal. <laughs> and like all of us, like the the sheriff is setting the rules for the game where Johnny has to play with one uh, arm cuffed behind his back. And in the very next shot, the street is full of people. There are cheerle- cheerleaders. The band is there, and they're having this three on three football game. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just. So like, it's it's like a magic trick. They're just poof. They're there. They're there. And like, so obviously Johnny's a big fucking deal. 
in my hometown, uh, in Wapakoneta, if the star football, now our football team sucked, but if the star football player who was on his way to whatever college he wanted to go to, and we were going to see him on play on Saturdays on CBS or ABC, and then he got charged, he got put in jail for raping someone, uh, that stink would never go away. Oh, yeah. Even it's one of those things, too, where especially in our culture here in America, uh, even if you are proven innocent, like you said, that that stigma of always it's always going to stick with you that, well, did he? You know, even if you are proven innocent, you're still going to have so many people who are like, I don't know. I mean, people get away with things all the time. Mm-hmm. He had connections. He was, you right. know, because everyone likes him. There's a lot to dislike about this movie, but I think we both can agree that the one, the one shining star, one shining bright moment in this movie is Wayne Heisler, uh, played by Paul Gleason. And if for those of you, if that name sounds familiar, like he is, he's familiar in a lot of things, but he is most recognizable um, in the Breakfast Club with also Anthony Michael Hall. Um, yep. But he, man, all the big laughing moments I had was with Paul Gleason. And it starts off <laughs> his introduction as the coach. He's rallying his his troops together, his football players, as the credits are going through and getting them hyped up. And he throws a hard F-bomb. Um, not the F-bomb in terms of fuck, but a very derogatory term uh, to the gay community, as you can probably put that together. And that threw me off way, right away. I was like, oh, my God. But then doesn't he immediately, like the moment he gets his, uh, his team rallied, they all start yelling. And as he's rushing out, he punches a water cooler, and it just shatters. shatters. <laughs> my, my favorite part was um, he was using euphemisms for getting laid. Yeah. And he said, you get honey on your, what was it? <laughs> it's like, get uh, uh, something something you gotta win in order in order to get honey on your stinger you have to win That's so, yeah. right, lift your heads boys prayers over i talk to god i'm through talking to god now i'm talking to you you'd be out there in front of your families student body every girl you ever had a heart on for is going to be out there today but you will not be going to no sock hop tonight boys you will not get no honey on your stinger tonight mm-hmm. if you don't go out there and bust your ass there's this other movie. So I don't know if you've ever seen All the Right Moves. It's a football movie starring Tom Cruise from 1983. Um, and, um, oh, man, Craig T. Nelson plays the, the the head football coach in that movie. And there is, uh, when they're about to, like, their team is mediocre. They're not like um, Johnny B, like Johnny Walker's team. But um, they go to play the defending state champs they play every year and get crushed, but now they have a, a defense that's going to be able to stop them and everything. And when in that movie, when the coach is giving them their big rallying, like, you know, we can win this sort of thing, he drops a hard R N-word. And I'm wondering if that's just like a thing that people used to do, like coaches used to do back in the day. Because now we have this, the, this movie is supposed to be a comedy um, and that movie is a, supposed to be a serious drama, but we have a similarity between coaches just using derogatory language to psych up their players. So I've only ever played one year of football and it was eighth grade and I saw field time for maybe two minutes. <laughs> 
So I, I guess like uh, in terms of if I have any inside knowledge on that, uh, I don't know. Um, but I, it almost seems like, I think we've talked about that before just in passing, you and I just having simple conversations that a lot of 80s movies, man, it's, uh, we, well, we had like a test episode with our Zapped uh, with Scott Baio. And we had mentioned that before, where it's so much of that language and so much of those actions are just, I, they just look the other way, man. I think that was just, uh, that was that era. It was, I'm sure even if people were uncomfortable, it was like, well, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, it's that person and the town loves them. I guess that's true. Yeah. But it should be known, too, that Paul Gleason's punching antics does not stop with a water cooler. Uh, there's a moment where Johnny and Leo try to get revenge on him by going to his house, and it starts off where all of a sudden a bunch of pizzas are ordered, <laughs> and all of a sudden an elephant comes into the backyard, and Paul Gleason <laughs> starts punching the elephant. <laughs> he gives that he punches that elephant twice in the ribs, man. It's, it's like. <laughs> My favorite, my favorite joke in the movie comes from uh, the the coach. He is talking to the athletics director from uh, Piermont, the big university that really wants to get Johnny, and um, <laughs> he invites him over for dinner. And his and, and the coach's wife, played by um, oh, not Meg Tilly, Jennifer Tilly, yep. um, says that we don't have enough crab cakes. And he gets, and 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 Paul Gleason gets real serious for a moment. He goes, "You're right, honey. Better break out the fish sticks." Hello, Coach Isler's house. Is he in? I think so. May I? Oh sure. Just follow the sound of the music. Thank you. Look out, oh Miss Lydia, and Lucy Brown. Yes, Chancellor, how are you? Good to see you again, sir. How about that game today, huh? Nice. Walker was everything you said he was. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do I do to get him to go to Piermont? I just want you to sit down and relax and enjoy my home. You're going to have dinner with us, aren't you? I don't think we have enough salmon patties, Wayne. What the heck? Break out the fish sticks, honey. Oh, okay. Darling, mm -hmm. some of that sparkling fruit wine. <laughs> Have a seat, please, Chancellor. <laughs> I guess it's a dumb this. joke, but I, I seriously, I enjoyed it. Yeah, he is the shining example. Like Johnny Be Good, it should have been Wayne Be Good, Heisler Be Good. <laughs> I think. I mean, I think the movie would have been vastly more interesting if he was played up as like the main villain instead of one of the bad guys. Like oh, he's an yeah. antagonist, but he's not any more. He's not really any more of an antagonist than old Texas when they um, try to intimidate Johnny's grandfather with the lures, or the Piermont guy, the athletic director. Um, like if they would have made, if they would have made it to where uh, the coach is actively trying to stop Johnny from getting into any other school instead of just trying to nudge him in a certain direction, I think it would. I think that would have been more interesting because we could have seen Johnny actually have some agency and motivation to do the right thing. And then like, you know, we could have had a better climax than Johnny just standing in a microphone saying, I'm not signing my letter of intent. No, that's a very good point. It's almost like um, there were moments 
where I started thinking about varsity blues and how uh, the main antagonist in that is John Foyt, their football coach. And so much of all of their decisions in that movie represent and lead up to sort of their defeat over John Foyt. And you make a good point. I think that would have been so much more better. Uh, not only that, too, but then we'd be able to just stay in the town and we'd be able to see not only more of the environment, but more of the, how the townspeople react to not only Johnny, but possibly the coach as well. Uh, you know, that whole thing where some, like, in, again, Varsity Blues, where there were so many townspeople that were, that were very pissed off and very, they, didn't not, they did not like John Voight at all. But because of his status in the town, nothing could be done. And that's where I think Paul Gleason could have shown a lot more. Yeah, I mean, he because they could have had so many so many opportunities to paint him as just you know like Stephen King levels of evil because oh, yeah. he's two time back to back state football champions in the South. That you know you're going to be more important to the town than the mayor. Yeah, that would have been great, and I love that. I there were a couple of moments where they were playing with. I thought yellow was going to be a motif for him because he has the you know the yellow car. There's a moment where he is all decked out in a yellow suit. Yellow, like sometimes in, in terms of film color, it's, it just signals like deceit and betrayal. I was really hoping they would play up that color more, but they only do it that twice, uh, those two times, and that kind of bummed me out. I thought that would have been something creative to really just signify Paul Gleason with. But since he's not, they don't really utilize him enough, I guess there wouldn't have been an opportunity to do such a thing. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I think th- this is also the only movie that this guy, Bud Smith, that he ever directed. Now, he's an Oscar-nominated editor. I don't know. I don't remember what he was nominated for. But he's been nominated for two Academy Awards. Um, but this is the only movie he ever directed. And I think, you know, I think it, it's, this, this shows. Oh, yeah. This shows a lot. Do you think it's one of those things, too, if this is his first movie, um, would he have improved his craft as he went on? Or do you think he would have stayed in this awful sort of teen comedy stage see i, I honestly don't know because this is i mean this is a studio movie like this guy should have had if he if he's been an editor i think he's been an editor since the 70s um he would have known people he would have worked with people that you know if he's been nominated for two academy awards he would have worked with people who can make movies so he would have had some knowledge or at least some people to get advice from for this movie and for it to turn out as poorly as it is not just from like not just from a script standpoint from technical aspects like the dubbing on certain scenes is very obvious yeah. uh, especially when they're driving in cars um i think I, I don't know if it's just like anthony michael hall's performance if that's how he interpreted johnny walker as like this laissez-faire attitude so he's gonna talk by like barely moving his mouth you know and he's gonna talk like real low and short sentences right <laughs> there were so many moments where it he looks out of it. In the beginning, I was really starting, you know, I, that sarcastic, as I was telling you in the chat, that sarcastic attitude, I was kind of rallying behind. But then as the movie progressed, I, you start really seeing that maybe Anthony Michael Hall did not want to do this movie. He just looks tired sometimes. There's moments where he, it looks like he doesn't know where he's at. Which, I mean, granted, I'm sure after anybody reads the script, it'd be like, you know what? It's a paycheck. Fuck it. I, I think Robert Downey Jr. gives at least more energy and umph than what Anthony Michael Hall does. I think that Robert Downey Jr. is improvising every line he has. has I, I genuinely feel that way because it doesn't. It doesn't seem like because what he's saying doesn't really fit 
the movie, like the dialogue, like versus other instances of dialogue in the movie. And also he's he has this weird cadence that he does in certain scenes. So I feel like the majority of Robert Downey Jr.'s dialogue was just him off the cuff. Oh man, do you do you think he was a handful on that set? Probably. I would I mean, like this is this is post uh his him and Anthony Michael Hall's run on Saturday Night Live in eighty five. Um I think less than zero was eighty six or maybe eighty seven. So which he got, you know, a lot of uh rave reviews for. So I mean and Robert Downey Jr., I don't know if this was, you know, the beginning of his drug issues, but mm. I you know He's notorious for that. So I, I would imagine he might have been a diva on set. Oh, my God. It's just sometimes you can almost tell just by the antics of a character, like how they hold themselves in the movie. I almost feel like Robert Downey Jr. was just he he honestly in the movie, he acts like a five year old with too much candy in the system. And it's it's sometimes it's exhausting to watch. But I, at the same time, he, he was entertaining. <laughs> I found him annoying. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting, though, to note that there's a moment when Anthony Michael Hall is playing on his drum set and watching football, and then behind him is uh, a mural of Charlie Chaplin. Did you catch that? I didn't catch it the first time when you mentioned it, but when they have that um, montage at the end of the movie playing under the credits, I I did see the, the black and white poster he has behind him. Uma Thurman, this is her debut. Yeah, she's there. Yeah. She's in this movie. She's uh, there. Her, She's she's she says words and kind of emotes, but not really. Um, she's very attractive, very wonderful to look at. But I I I would rather I would have waited a year just to have the Adventures of Baron Munchausen be, you know, my first movie if I were her. Which is a shame too. I, again, that's another thing that if we would have just we could have just stayed in the town and just had the central focus be the town, be Paul Gleason. I think that would have been another great opportunity too to really utilize Uma Thurman more. But again, mm-hmm. that's her dad is also an antagonist, and it's, so it's the movie cannot choose who to hate. It, it almost comes down to the point, other than um, the head coach at State, which is where he ends up. Other than that head coach at State, other than his mother and grandfather, her and Uma, uh, pretty much everybody else in that movie. Uh, is unlikable. There's really no one to root for. Not really. And like, because like I said earlier, Johnny doesn't, he's not motivated by anything. Like, there's no agency to him. He's just doing these things because I'm assuming like that's expectations, but everything feels manufactured. The setups feel manufactured. Um, So like, it's hard to root for Johnny because you don't, you don't care what he's doing. There's no investment. Right. Leo is Leo's just the wacky sidekick. Uh Uma Thurman's character is just his hot girlfriend. Um who he's made a promise that they're gonna go to state together and all this stuff. And it's yeah, I really I think I think if someone were to decide to remake this movie, there are opportunities to improve. Here's the interesting thing though, is I think the most earnest and honest scene in the entire movie is sort of like the first dinner scene. So after Johnny and his team win the state championship, uh, him and Leo go back to um, Johnny's house. That's where you get introduced to his mother, grandfather, his younger sister, younger brother. 
that's probably the most earnest scene in the entire movie. Not only is he playful, and not only is he uh, endearing, uh, but that's where you sort of learn the very first motivation of what he's wanting to do, and that's provide a better life for his family. He mentions, you know, putting them in a better house, uh, making it to where his grandfather has a fishing lure business, and he wants to try to help his grandfather achieve that. But then, like you mentioned, after that moment on, he has such a blasé attitude, such a, a, a fuck you, I've got a chip on my shoulder. It's like, why even introduce that in the beginning? Then? Like, why not, if you're going to have him, uh, let these be his motivations. That should be the driving force from the song. I, I, when we got done watching the movie and it just kind of ended, uh, I tried really hard to figure out what the movie is trying to say. Because it's taking a topic, especially in the 80s, with football recruitment, uh, college players and everything, there were a couple scandals. I know the big one was SMU Mustangs. They got the, the NCAA death penalty for uh, recruiting violations. Um, and so this concept was, it was in the news. And the movie just kind of uses it as a backdrop for jokes. Uh, and I, so it's not like they're trying to make any, like they're not trying to make a statement about college recruitment. Uh, for football players, like violations and giving kids, giving kids like women, like there was, uh, I mean, recently even at Louisville, the, the 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 basketball program got in trouble because one of the assistant coaches was hiring prostitutes to sleep with visiting recruits on oh, campus, geez. which is what we got when he goes to Old Tech, because that one the the one recruit says, I only came here because they because uh, they promised me two Chinese women. Right. Ugh. And like it's. <sighs> But like it's not making any statement about that. They're just kind of showing stuff that they would have that would have been in the news already, but in a joke fashion. And they're not saying anything about like any small like small town achievements or going to the big city or staying true to your roots or anything like that. So like I don't I don't know what the point of the story is. You said it best. Like it's one of those I can't even begin to if anyone came up to me and was like, what really is Johnny B. Good about? I don't even know if I'd be able to properly give them an explanation. <laughs> Other than just how this happens and this happens, it would be so out of context just because the movie itself is so out of context. It's a yeah, weird, like, weird watch. It's like there's no themes to pick up on. There's not, not even thing really about friendship, love, family, like these basic things that are in almost all movies. Right. There's, I don't, I, I can't, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out, like, what, what would have drawn uh, Anthony Michael Hall, who was famous, who, who was big, huge, not even two years ago, right? Working with, um, well, not, I fucking forgot his name, John Hughes, uh, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science. He's now, he's 20, I think, when this movie comes out. And this would have been like, you know, oh, I'm I'm gonna be in adult movies or something. What would have what would have drawn him to the script? It's a cheap answer, but money, right? Like I I don't. It's not like he needs any more fame. Uh, I guess even at this point, because of his fame, he wouldn't need much more money. But I, uh, did he owe someone a favor? I have no idea because I, I I honestly can't. I honestly don't know why you would do the script in this way unless they had a script. And then they just kind of threw it away when uh, production started, and they were just making stuff up the day of. 
probably one of those things where he that would probably even explain some of his attitude as the character within the movie. They probably had uh, a certain story already developed, and then as it got butchered along the way, uh, that sarcastic, no shit attitude sort of just became probably how he actually felt about it. This is a mystery on his part. Unless we could try to track him down and maybe have him give an interview, you think that's possible? Anthony Michael Hall. I mean, he is he doing stuff? I don't know. I think he is in small stuff. Uh, I think the last big thing he's ever really done was The Dead Zone, right? Is that on Sci-Fi? That was like a series. I mean, he was in The Dark Knight in 2008, but that's the last thing I know he did. <laughs> well, we're coming in uh, to the end of the time here, uh, Ryan. Could you recommend this to anybody? Uh, no, I, I I would not recommend this to anyone. Um, I know this is like uh, this is the, the back to school uh, sort of uh, theme that we're going with for this month, and I like I would burn down Ashcroft High School <laughs> uh, if they made us watch this movie. Not before punching all of their water coolers first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like I'm kind of glad there was my wife purchased um the blue like a three movie blu-ray set that had 16 candles um weird science and breakfast club in it and so I was I was watching um John Hughes movies on Amazon and I came across this and I thought about watching it uh maybe like a <laughs> month ago and I was like nah I'll watch something else and I'm really fucking glad I did cuz if I would have watched it then and you would have said oh we're going to do Johnny be good I would have probably would have thrown a hissy fit <laughs> well that is uh let me let the listeners know and uh you too ryan that uh this is only the beginning this is the tip <laughs> of the iceberg of some of the shit we're going to be exploring all right everyone that's johnny be good uh tune in next week we will be covering uh school spirit and as always everyone please have a good late night rental Texas Sushi, boy.